0: Would you like to connect with experienced finance and accounting professionals for mentorship and career advice? Do you want to hear how the leaders in your profession got where they are now? Are you looking for a networking space, especially for the finance and accounting community? Then FEI Engage is the place for you. FEI Engage is the only community and content hub focused strictly on finance and accounting. It gives you access to the wisdom and experience of long-tenured professionals, so you can make savvy decisions about your future. Visit www.financialexecutives.org forward slash
1: FEI hyphen engage or click on the link in this episode's show notes to learn more. This is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to FEI Weekly. Today's episode is part of the Power Skills Series, a deep dive into a particular skill set we think you need as you move through your career in finance and accounting. My guest is Andrew Davies, Global Head of Regulatory Affairs at Comply Advantage. He's a veteran of the financial crime risk management world, and we discussed everything from the biggest fraud and AML trends to the role of AI. Lots to learn. Here's the conversation. Hi Andrew, how are
0: you? Hi Olivia, I'm uh, I'm super inspired to have the opportunity to uh, to talk to you. I'm feeling sort of very energized by the opportunity. Thank you.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. I, I'm very happy to have you, and I'm excited to talk about this this topic. Uh, first of all, could you just tell us about yourself and your current role?
0: Yeah, so. Um... I'm originally from England. I've worked in the United States for the longest time, and um, I started working in the sort of financial services space back in in sort of traditional migration, where I went from a technology person and I went to work for a bank, um, mostly in the uh, sort of trading space. And then I sort of managed to evolve my career to work in into this uh, compliance or financial crime risk management uh, position. And right now, I'm the global head of regulatory affairs for an organisation called Comply Advantage, and I run a team where. We, a team of compliance and and financial crime experts who help organizations use technology and data, right? We always talk about data these days. Um, They use technology and data to manage different types of financial crime risk at different organizations.
1: So let's start really broadly. Let's define what we mean when we use the term financial crime in this conversation.
0: Sure, yeah. um, And I I do use the term quite broadly, um, mostly because I... um, One of the things that I find in this particular uh, role is you can really help people by managing their risk and their exposure of losing money, of losing assets, of being subject to um, some of the other nefarious crimes that we'll talk about, uh, things like human trafficking. So generally, I like to think of financial crime as any type of activity that requires the sort of movement of money through the financial system. And financial crime is am I using that money for some, by bad actors, are they using that money for nefarious purposes, terrorist financing, for laundering the proceeds of criminal activity? But then also things about, um, you know, how do I derive money from things like human trafficking or drug trafficking and facilitate that and turn that into a legitimate asset through the financial system? So I I use the term broadly, and historically we've talked about fraud, anti-money laundering, but of course, anti-money laundering is a term where you take the proceeds of crime and turn it into some legitimate asset. And the predicate crimes are what's referred to as a predicate crime for money laundering. Like there has to be some way of generating funds. It's called a predicate crime. And that covers all types of things like bribery and corruption, uh, human trafficking, uh, the illegal exploitation of, uh, of, of other people, minors, for example, drug trafficking. The financing of terrorist activity. So there's that broad uh, term. And and I'll talk later about some of the uh, more formal definitions and where you can find definitions of uh, financial crime uh, typologies.
1: Thank you. That's helpful. It is really interesting to think of it as broadly as that. You mentioned drug trafficking, human trafficking. What are some other real life examples uh, that you can offer of financial crimes, maybe specifically for those in more corporate examples of so for those who are in finance and accounting roles? The first
0: thing that immediately springs to mind is something like fraud. If you're in some payment operations or if you're a corporate treasurer. You know, you're the um, person that's responsible for the funds, the the money of the, those organizations. And, you know, one of the things that we've seen recently is deep fake attempts to do something called CEO fraud. And CEO fraud is um, a term that's used to describe this type of fraud. And we've probably all experienced this. You know, one of the things that is, um, that sort of makes this tangible to everybody is everybody's concerned about fraud and losing their own money and their business's money. So this is an example where, the opportunity to perpetrate this type of fraud is really um, been accelerated by the application of things like uh, machine learning and different types of deep fakes on identity and even with voice. So, so I'll give you an example that happened to me. I get a, a text message or a voice message from the CEO of the company saying, hey, I'm just on the road at the moment. I need to. Um, the team's done really well. I just need to wire them some money or you know, I'm on the road at the moment and I need to wire money to pay this particular vendor. This There have been great examples of this recently, and they can be material. Tens of millions of dollars, you know, can be lost in a single uh, broad attempt. And, and and what happens is basically this deep fake identity is created using things like um, simulation of voice. So it's a very credible request. And then, of course, in, in you're in the busy, you know, busy day. And then you're like, OK, well, I just got a call from the CEO. I need to um, um, you know, manage the boss and do what they're telling me. Um, and then I basically go through to some sort of um, payment origination system and send money on that request. It's more and more difficult to figure out if that is a legitimate request versus a, um, a fraudulent request. Does, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I think we're all familiar with that type of fraud. Just for those who are listening who might not be aware, can you... Tell us what deep fake. What a deep fake is.
0: So deep fake in this context is um, a simulation of in, in the, particularly the audio request is someone's voice is um, simulated essentially. So based on recordings of, you know, and, and certainly in organizations I've worked for, there's, you know, the CEOs are out there in the public and uh, there's the ability to capture their voice and then mimic their voice using some sort of technology to create a, uh, a simulated voice. In that case, it's a fake voice, but it sounds exactly like the CEO. And of course, the more and more um, access we have to more and more computing power. You know, there are things like, um, you know, potential uh, video simulations as well, where you actually look like you're talking to the uh, uh, the person that's your CEO, but it's actually a fake image. That's unbelievable.
1: What is, what do we mean when we say financial crime compliance?
0: The regulators of individual companies, of uh, particularly financial services companies, they have... Um, created legislation in different jurisdictions and in in the United States. Um, uh, For example, we have legislation here that is intended to protect the the financial system and to protect customers. So, for example, we have the USA Patriot Act, the Bank Secrecy Act, the uh, um, CFPB obligations. So this legislation mandates that you need to have certain checks and balances in place to manage the risk of financial crime in your obli- in in your particular organisation and this extends to corporates you know, beyond the financial system so for example there are a couple of uh, enforcement actions in 2023 that affected corporations around their compliance with something um, with sanctions for example so the federal government publishes a list of sanctioned parties If you're sending money or doing business or sending technology to these particular organizations, then you're in violation of your compliance obligations. So financial crime compliance means staying in compliance with the legislation that's applicable for your business in the context of uh, managing financial crime risk.
1: And who is it at an organization who's typically responsible for being compliant in that way?
0: So it would be... It's everybody in the in the organisation. That that's the sort of interesting thing. Uh, everybody has a part to play. So if you if you join a financial institution, you know one of the first things you'll do is you'll get training on uh, anti money laundering and spotting this type of activity. Generally, it sort of would roll up to someone like a chief legal counsel or a chief compliance officer that would have overall responsibility for uh, these obligations. It could be a CFO as well. Um, obviously, they have their own uh, um, obligations in that role to manage risk. So it, it actually is um, something that's very relevant to more or less everybody in an organization, but particularly C-level executives.
1: What are so you've mentioned some already, but what are some of the biggest trends right now that you're seeing in fraud and and money laundering and other financial crimes? And then maybe talk to us about how the risk landscape has really changed over the last several years.
0: Just take a step back from financial crime um, to give you some context. So, whoever you're dealing with from on a on a business level, as a financial institution, as a a corporation, you you can often deal with um, individuals and small businesses at distance at this point, right? So, understanding who you're doing business with is that first step in managing financial crime risk. It's called due diligence as part of that sort of customer onboarding or vendor onboarding process. So. We live in a world now where we're dealing with different types of um, uh, counterparties at distance. And then think about that in the context of the advent of a faster movement of money, right? We can all move money in real time at this point using different types of payment mechanisms. So one of the things that's done done in in the sort of context of trends around financial crime, that means that your money moves more quickly, bad actors will take advantage of that transformation of these types of payment infrastructures to steal money more quickly, to to take money and then have multiple hops across different countries, right? We all live in a a global world at this point. So it may be that I'm sending money to a counterparty in the United States, and then they suddenly send the money to a beneficiary in, um, in another country overseas. So this landscape of disruption around the movement of money has led to The more real-time bad actors, so stealing money in real time, but then also, you know, financing terrorism terrorism, um, in real time. So that that whole real-time landscape has really accelerated and, and, you know, different types of financial crime activity. So to go to your trends question, you know, one of the things I'm always talking about at this point is real-time payments and the real-time risk of financial crime in that landscape. So money moving more quickly. The other thing with the uh, the sort of advent of technology is the underlying technology, for example, around crypto. So the underlying technology of blockchain allows money to move without a um, on a global basis without a sort of central intermediary, and that in in many ways is a good thing. Right, real time payments are a good thing. We just need to manage risk in that context. So you see bad actors taking advantage of that uh, that faster movement of money. And then, of course, once money's gone, you've got to try and recover it. And that's more and more difficult given the sort of global world that we live in. You may end up money is, uh, you know, moved to a jurisdiction where, um, you know, they're deliberately trying to obfuscate the uh, um, uh, access to that money.
1: We talked about this earlier, the way that you said machine learning has really accelerated fraud in different ways. And We're talking about how everything is in real time now. On the positive side, what role does AI and and technology play in risk detection?
0: One of the things with the applications of AI and machine learning is you can try and uncover those unknown unknowns, right? So we know For example, if you have um, an investment account at an organization, if someone deposits money and then moves money out of that account without any trading activity, that's inherently suspicious. It could be legitimate, but it's a little bit suspicious. Why are people using this um, particular product in a way that it's not supposed to be used? Now, of course, those are sort of very easily, it's very easy to detect that type of unusual behavior. But beyond that, with the, the mountain of data that we're subjected to on a daily basis, everyone's got more data now. The more data we have in fighting um, in financial crime, so the outcome of investigations, previous uh, insights that we've derived from uh, cases, all of that information, that vast amount of information can be more easily analyzed by machine learning techniques to sort of uncover those emerging typologies of financial crimes, so things that we hadn't been able to previously detect, we're now able to detect. And of course, that means that you know, we're essentially fighting fire with fire, right? We talked about the deep fake example, bad actors using these types of techniques. Well, we need to use those techniques on the data that we have access to and share those sort of actionable insights that we derive from that data to fight these financial crimes.
1: So I'd like to know for those who are listening who are early in their careers or, or even maybe those who are considering a change, why a career in this area? So I guess um,
0: and the reason why I started off sort of uh, um, being so energetic and passionate about this is, you know, one of the things that I always talk about that inspires me, that inspires many people in the industry is the notion of doing the right thing. So a couple of years ago, there was an organization called the Financial Action Task Force on Money Laundering, and they had their opening plenary session, and one of the mantras that they had in that plenary session was, stop money laundering, save lives. So these are all human stories at the the end of the day, right? People are losing money. People are subject to human trafficking. 80,000 people a year die in the United States on an annual basis because of the use of um, illegally produced fentanyl. Obviously, the proceeds of that activity is laundered through the system and turned into a legitimate asset. So the first thing that inspires me to be in this space is that you're putting that moral imperative, Doing the right thing. Now, the other thing is that um, it can also be a differentiator of an organization. You know, you and me, we want to do business with organizations that have security and integrity built into their products and services. So, we, we can um, support our own business growth by being differentiated because of the, the, the way that we're protecting our customers, we're protecting our organization so we're more secure, and then ultimately protecting this entire global financial system. So I think that there's that sort of moral imperative, and then there's that sort of, um, you know, commercial imperative. And then, you know, the other thing is, it's it's a bit like, um, you know, that phrase death and taxes, you know, compliance obligations never seems to go away. So it's quite a secure position to be in, because we're all, always going to have different types of compliance obligations that we not need to fulfill to actually exist as businesses.
1: Do you think that people earlier in their career or in school, do you think they understand how broad financial crime really is?
0: I'm not sure if they fully understand that full breadth of, of financial crime. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can, there are certainly courses where you can study financial crime. You can study cybersecurity. You can study uh, the use of data analytics to manage risk. I think that broad definition of, of financial crime is something that sort of evolved over time. There's an organization called the Financial Crime Enforcement Network in the United States, FinCEN. And a couple of years ago, they published their national priorities. And that was a real sea change from a, from an industry perspective, because you know, we've often talked about, in an abstract way, money laundering. We've talked about terrorist financing. Historically, we talk about fraud. In the FinCEN national priorities, they brought into sharp focus things like bribery and corruption, human trafficking, uh, drug trafficking, uh, to, to really bring to the fore this idea of these predicate crimes. I think I think we're sort of evolving as an industry into that enterprise view of financial crime risk, which of course feeds into the whole risk management uh, process and uh, organisation within any type of organisation that you're working for. So I think I, I think I don't think it's well understood, but I think it's becoming more and more uh, um, understood.
1: If people are interested in learning more about this area or or possibly interested in this as a career path, what are some of the resources we talked about? Maybe certifications?
0: Yeah, so there's actually a lot. The the first thing I would do um, from a resource perspective is. There is this organisation that I mentioned called the Financial Action Task Force on Money Laundering, and it started with the G7 countries, and it now is sort of like subsumed as part of the G20. and And they have a uh, you know website, and they have absolutely outstanding material and education educational material for you to learn about these uh, financial crime uh, broadly. You can also learn about things like uh, synthetic identity, and of course, it's closely tied to. Payments. so you can learn a little bit about payments and how the evolution of payments is working to uh, manage financial crime risk. So I think I would start off with the FATF. It sits above local legislation in particular countries, which is often derived from their the um, FATF guidance. Um, and then, of course, you know, one of the other things to do is to it can be a bit dry, but it's definitely worth checking out. It's things like you know, the Department of the Treasury website or different scams websites that are out there published by governments. So that gives you context. And then in terms of certification, there's some absolutely brilliant organisations out there. The, the Probably the, the foremost organisations are the Association of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialists. It's called ACAMS. There's the Association of Certified Financial Crime Specialists. And then there's sort of a niche one, which I really like, called the Association of Certified Sanctions Specialists. And in a world where, you know, we see daily changes to um, organizations and individuals that are sanctioned, you know, I think that that sort of sanctions uh, um, compliance group is is of particular interest. But there are certainly lots of different organizations out there that are uh, offering certifications, and obviously, to achieve that certification, you have to go through their education. And their education is absolutely brilliant to understand these types of activities. And as I said, you know, I, I keep going back to it, but in support of that moral imperative, you know, you're doing the right thing, it's something that can inspire you to work um, in this area every day.
1: Andrew, I, I think it's safe to say that you have a very infectious enthusiasm for this area. And... Definitely inspirational. I just want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me about this.
0: I really appreciate it. And um, I guess one thing I didn't mention, but this is a global issue. But being an expert in this space and, and, and working in this space gives you access to you know a sort of strategic view that um, that can be applied in any country. So you know you can start off working in the US. You can you know there's obviously regulators in Australia and you know, all over the world. So it gives you that opportunity to you know find the good fight on a global basis.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Andrew. Appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: Appreciate it, Olivia.